I loved Anthony Bourdain. It was one of the first books that I actually read and actually resonated with me. And it gave me a, 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 a travel bug, a desire to go out and explore things and, and learn and go on adventures. And I kind of took a page out of his book when I first moved down to Costa Rica. I just started writing uh, an email to all my friends, sharing these wonderful adventures that I was going through. And then the, the travel guide project ended up kind of formalizing that skill. So really all of these segments in the travel guide were, was my interpretation, my version of a wonderful experience. And I really just enjoyed that naturally. I was not a great writer at the beginning, but I improved over time and I got to see what was what people were responding to and what resonated and ultimately, a travel guide is no more than someone's authentic opinions about something. In fact, many would argue that's the best kind of advice you can get. Welcome to Behind the Stays, a podcast that shares the stories behind your favorite Airbnbs and the hosts who've made them memorable. Behind the Stays is brought to you by Spontaneous, a free weekly newsletter that brings you a carefully curated list of last-minute deals and upcoming steals on Airbnb. Sign up at spontaneous.com. I'm your host, Zach Cruz. Enjoy the show. In just a moment, you'll meet Matt Landau, the founder of VRMB a vacation rental marketing blog and community for the world's most innovative vacation rental professionals. When Matt was a senior at the University of Richmond, he stumbled upon an alumni magazine that would end up changing his life. On the cover of this magazine was an alum sitting in a hammock while on a beach in Costa Rica. While Matt had no idea what this guy did that enabled him to chillax in such a pristine aesthetic, he made up his mind then and there that he wanted to do whatever it was that this guy did. And as it turned out, this guy had started the top luxury travel agency in all of Costa Rica. So Matt decided to shoot his shot and ask this guy to get together for a coffee the next time he was in town. And to Matt's pleasant surprise, this guy said yes. This opportunity was Matt's foray into travel and hospitality, and while he didn't know it at the time, this job would enable him to buy his own vacation rental management agency and eventually build a prolific online platform and membership community that thousands of professional operators all around the world would one day come to learn from and be inspired by. All right, without further ado, get ready to meet Matt. All right, Matt, we are, we're live. Welcome to the show, dude. Thank you. I feel it's nice to be here in your padded room. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, dude. It's, uh, uh, my studio is definitely working in progress. Um, and you are in, you're in a new, uh, a new space as well. You just bought this, this new apartment in Miami, you were saying? Yes. This is the apartment that I moved into as a renter in 2020 when I moved to Miami, AKA the epicenter of the pandemic at the time. And it was a complete game changer for my life. The, the property itself and the building that it's located in 
um, changed me, mm. the neighbors, uh, just a wonderful energy. And um, as time passed, the owner of the property um, got divorced. Okay. Sorry and, to hear. Yeah. Uh, but I was the beneficiary. <laughs> I was patiently waiting in the wings and she felt terrible about having to sell the apartment, but she felt um, comforted. Mm. By being able to sell it to me because she knew how how dear it was to my heart. Yeah. So good things happen. Yeah, yeah. That's uh. I mean, hey, divorce is never uh, easy, but hey, it's nice to hear that there's a, a little uh, a little silver lining uh, to to that story. Um. Well, well, Matt, I uh, I've been wanting to talk to you for a while because I've been asking folks in the short term rental space, uh, mostly on Twitter and on LinkedIn. I'm like. Who, who like knows community in this space? Like who, like when you think about somebody who has a good grasp of how to build strong communities of SDR hosts, of, of folks building tech in the space, et cetera, like who comes to mind? And and your name, Matt, just quite frankly, kept coming up when I would DM people or I'd ask, they'd be like, oh, do you get his new, do you get Matt's newsletter? Do you know who Matt is? And I was like, honestly, I, I don't. And I'm, I'm brand new to the space. A lot of the people that are like listening to, this, this episode probably know exactly who you are. Um, but I am just honored to get this opportunity to chat with you. And, and I want to, I've got several questions for you, but I want to, I want to go back to the very beginning and I want to hear a little bit more about your story. So where, where does Matt's story and the story of VRMB like really start? So VRMB started, um, after graduation. So I had um, gone to school in Richmond, Virginia. Okay. And there was an alumni from my school who had made his way down to Costa Rica. And I saw this guy on the front of the alumni magazine when I was sitting there in senior year in college and I, he was sitting in a hammock <laughs> on the beach. And there was this whole feature about how this guy had gone down and started the top luxury travel agency in Costa Rica. Huh. And as I would uh, get to learn the business better, he also happened to hit sort of the dot-com boom and the Costa Rica tourism boom perfectly. Beautiful. And I reached out to this guy because at the time I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. And I said, basically, I want to do what you're doing. Will you hire me? Wow. And we had a lovely lunch uh, when he was up in Virginia and we clicked. And I think he saw a little bit of uh, himself in me, 10 years uh, younger. And he hired me and he gave me a place to stay in San Jose, Costa Rica, which was right next to his office, which had around 30 employees. Wow. He gave me a project, uh, which was to write a travel book a travel guide for all of his in-country guests. Okay. So you'd book through this agency and then you would uh, arrive and you'd get this little uh, bundle and inside the bundle would be a travel guide. And that was it. That was all he gave me. He gave me a little stipend as well, but that was kind of my little nudge to go out and meet with the businesses who he had good relationships with to experience these things naturally. How can you write about it if you're not sipping the daiquiri in the hot tub? And that project ended up really just giving me a wonderful taste for the tropics. And it made me realize that there was a way to live, to work, 
that wasn't necessarily the cookie cutter that all of my friends were entering out of college. Uh, from that first experience in Costa Rica, it was about six months. Um, he told me he was going down to Panama to open up a branch of his business there. And everybody within the organization said, Matt, you would love Panama and specifically the historic district in Panama City because it's up and coming. It's still quite raw, but there's potential. And that was all I needed to hear. I went down to Panama on an exploratory mission and I purchased a vacation rental company. <laughs> and that's where VRMB began. In 2007, I purchased the only luxury place to stay in town, in Casco Viejo. So Tyann, you own and operate 20 vacation rentals under two different brands in Missouri. Yes, yes I do. And you're the queen of guest experience at Touchday, which is the leading digital guest guidebook technology worldwide. Yes, I sure am. And you're trusted by thousands of other short-term rental hosts across the world who listen to your podcasts, follow you on social media, and attend your presentations at industry events. Is this correct? It is, and I am honored to be trusted in the industry, yes. So chances are, Tyann, that you you know a thing or two about the different property management software providers in this space. I do, and I love meeting the teams everywhere, um, and I, I know a lot about them, and I'm also very curious and ask questions to learn more because the space is always changing. Yeah, yeah, so I, I am so glad to hear that, and the reason I wanted to have this quick chat with you is because I know that you use Onores for your property management software, and I want to hear a little bit about why you chose Onores and, and why you love Onores over you know the many other options that are available on the market. So we know there's lots of options, but I had to narrow it down to what my top priorities are. So the first one is I've got to have the communications prowess. I am all about communications. I think that is a key factor to reviews and therefore to better revenue serve. And okay. Did you see that again? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Ask me the last question again. Yeah. So there are so many great options in the space, but I wanna know why you chose and, and ultimately why you love Onores over, over some of the others. Can you, could you give us just a couple of reasons why? Yeah, so I look at all the softwares and they all have really great capabilities, but I needed to narrow it down to what I value the most and what software matched up to that. So the first one is the communications prowess. I am all about communications. It is highly important to me and it has a great effect upon my reviews and therefore my revenue. The second one is excellent customer service. And I have this little trick that I do when I'm searching for, for software is that I'll send a customer service request in and see how fast they respond, how well they respond, and if I understand their response as well, because I've got to be able to understand when there's a problem. And then the third one is comprehensive capabilities. It has to be powerful to do what I need it to do. And I'm gonna add a fourth one. I need constancy and dependability because I'm running some businesses here and I've got a lot of things going on. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, right? No one has time for software that doesn't work in the way that you expect it to. Diane, who do you think Onores is the best fit for? Like what kind of host or, or property manager do you think align best with the core product offering at Onores? So a lot of folks immediately think how many properties they have, and then they start narrowing it down to what softwares they should look at. But instead, I want to 
teach you to think a little bit differently. Look at what you value. So owner res is really excellent for host and property managers who value a software that does what it says it does. Mm. They don't overpromise under deliver. They under promise and over deliver is what they really do. Um, owner res is also a product that listens to their users and is nimble to adjust on the key needs of its users. So we're throwing out all kinds of things we want and they're really good at focusing to the key needs and doing what their users are wanting. Um, and lastly, it is for users who want and need a powerful engine to run their hospitality business. I love it. And so you were using another PMS before OwnerRes. Was OwnerRes the first PMS you used? Uh, how, how hard was it to either move from your old PMS or, or get set up with OwnerRes? So I'm one of those people who's been in this industry a long time. And the first decade was pen and paper and little pocket calendar books. <laughs> and then after, after my very first double booking, uh, one and only, because that is something we all go through at some point or the other, uh, I started searching for some software. I used one. Um, I wasn't too thrilled with the because it was not communications friendly. It was mm. not dependable. It didn't work. Uh, so I went searching again, and that's when I found OwnerRes. That was five years ago. So I've been with them quite a while. And then at that time, it was a simple export-import exercise with a spreadsheet. And the most difficult part was the actual the core setup of my account. Mm. Um, definitely a learning curve to it. But that said, it's also a very logical setup that if you take it step by step, you can finish it. Just keep in mind that it's not this super flashy, simple thing because the system is so powerful. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I think that that's a really honest review. And from everything I've seen of the actual product, it does seem incredibly logical. For, for our listeners, we've partnered with Onarez to give new customers a 30% discount on their first three months. So when you talk to the team there, just mention behind the stays. If you just go through the checkout process, you can use the discount code BTS30 to get 30% off. But again, you can also just talk to a team member there, say that you heard about them on behind the stays and they will honor this discount. Tyan, any final words of encouragement as to why listeners should go and, and give Onarez a, a closer look? OwnerRes is a solid product. It's built by host and property managers themselves, and they understand our needs, working diligently to solve them with continuous updates to the software. I mean, I seriously could not run both my brands with 20 properties and growing with a very small human team, while also giving my time to the industry as a whole as Touchday's queen of guest experience and sharing my knowledge at conferences and events worldwide without OwnerRes. Well, folks, don't take it from me. Take it from one of the industry's most influential voices and just go and give Onarez a closer look. Even if you're not in the market right now, you might be in the market later, just go check them out. And you know, if and when you are ready to sign up, be sure to mention behind the stays or use the discount code BTS30 at checkout to get 30% off of your first three months. Tayan, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for your time. All right, thanks, Zach. So you've moved to Costa Rica. You have this, this project that you're that you're put on. Had you had you ever created content before like did you have any semblance of an idea of what it would look like to be able to put this like travel book together or did you just start googling how the heck do i do something like this like what, what did your approach look like i loved anthony bourdain mm. it was one of the first books that i actually read and actually resonated with me and it gave me a a a, a travel bug a desire to go out and explore things and and learn and go on adventures. And I kind of took a page out of his book when okay. I first moved down to Costa Rica. I just started writing uh, an email to all my friends. 
sharing these wonderful adventures that I was going through. And then the, the travel guide project ended up kind of formalizing that skill. So really all of these segments in the travel guide were, was my interpretation, my version of a wonderful experience. And I really just enjoyed that naturally. I was not a great writer at the beginning, but I improved over time and I got to see what was what people were responding to and what resonated. And ultimately a travel guide is no more than someone's authentic opinions about something. In fact, many would argue that's the best kind of advice you can get. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, okay. So you, you finish the guide, right? And then what do you, do you just realize I like writing for travel? I have fallen in love with like at this point in time, would you have said, I love the vacation rental industry and I want to spend my life working in this space or once the guide was complete, like where, where, where was your headspace at? My headspace was kind of mind blown in the sense that I don't have to go and do a cookie cutter job in a city that all of my friends have done. Mm. And I don't say that in a negative way. I, I it was unlocking a new world of possibilities that I had not thought about before. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just like, heck, if we can do this and get paid for it, I mean, I don't even need to make much money. I'm living the dream, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it was in Costa Rica uh, that everybody said, you have to go check out Panama. You would love Panama. And specifically, you would love the historic district is called Casco Viejo. Uh, Zach, have you ever been to Panama? I have not. No, I've heard great things, but no, I have not made it there yet. Tell me about it. Like, what, what, what was it like? Very metropolitan capital, far more developed in the sense that we think about in terms of business and trade uh, than San Jose, Costa Rica. The Panama Canal historically has been an important part of world commerce. Yeah. Uh, but specifically the historic district of Casco Viejo, it's in Panama City, but it's on a little peninsula. And it looks kind of like New Orleans. Okay. A hundred years ago. Okay. Okay. So French, Spanish, colonial architecture, um, beautiful pastel colored uh, paint. But this neighborhood had actually deteriorated over decades. Uh, basically, it was originally where all of the wealth and power was focused. And then those individuals who lived in those homes fled hmm. for suburbs and squatters moved into the neighborhood. And wow. for decades, it was the most dangerous uh, neighborhood in Panama City. Wow, wow. So did you move there? Was, yeah, I mean, so you, I, I stayed there, I stayed there. I didn't know what the vacation rental industry was, back to your question, I okay. didn't know it existed. But I stayed in a vacation rental okay. in Casco Viejo was the only luxury place to stay. And I say luxury, it was 80 bucks a night. You know, the next best option was like a, a mattress on the floor that was calling itself a hostel. Yeah, geez, wow, okay. But it opened my eyes to this neighborhood. Mm. And the owners of the vacation rental company was a couple from Holland. They gave me their version of Casco Viejo in those several days. Mm. Mm. And just to give you some vibes, this is still very early days for that neighborhood, which has now become something of a, of a phenomenon. But those were dark and dangerous days in Casco Viejo when gang violence 
and basic despair. I mean, the, yeah. the government had left this neighborhood to decay. There was no lights. There was no trash pickup. It was really kind of a sketchy place. Huh. And I loved it. <laughs> and there was something magical about this experience, this property that I stayed in, which in hindsight was a professionally managed vacation rental mm. as we know them today. Mm. And had you, had, was it, sorry, was this your, the first time you had ever stayed in a vacation rental? Like was, was the, like, and like, what was the booking experience? Like, I guess, I guess like from, from a, from a timeline, like when was this? Like what, what year are we talking? This is 2006. Okay. And in hindsight, I had stayed at vacation rentals with my family. It was always our preferred uh, way to stay. We okay. would go to the Jersey shore. Um, every now and then we'd go to Europe and it was always a vacation rental because we enjoyed the common spaces. We love to cook. Yeah. We we're just we like to go against the grain and explore. Yeah. 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 Um, that said, the booking experience of this property in, in Casco Viejo was way before we had property management softwares that were commonplace, way before Airbnb. Yeah. So uh, someone recommended them to me, their email address. And I sent them an email and they said, yeah, we'll, um, we'll fax you the information I sent out. <laughs> um, maybe I can just come and pay on site. And they said, okay, we can do that too. Yeah. <laughs> and this was actually the beginnings of a wonderful relationship between me and the owners of this business. Okay. Um, they were from Holland and they were designers by trade. They had sniffed out this wonderful little corner of the world and they had remodeled these properties into something absolutely beautiful mm, mm. with exposed stone and really comfortable seating areas. It's just such a special place, but they had no idea how to market it. Mm. They had no idea what technology to use. And after several months of helping them, just kind of with stuff that I had been picking up along the way of working online, they offered to sell me the business. Wow. Really? And I was like, what? <laughs> no, I can't afford that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about that. Huh. But it was one of those uh, turning points. Wow. In my life in which I started thinking, what if, what if I was the owner of this business? Yeah. What would I do differently? And I started getting really excited. Wow. So wait, did you buy it? I bought the business. You bought the business. Wow. Okay. So they just, they're, what was their reason for, like, they just wanted to kind of start over or, or they, they, they weren't traveling They burned anymore? some bridges okay. in the community. So I don't think they were the biggest team players. They Got were it. complete visionaries. I, I adore them. Yeah. But they were ready to move on. Yeah. Like visionaries, oftentimes, once something begins to get popular, they're like, eh, I got to go done. find something new. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So you and come so, in. Yep. You, and like what? Like, they bought. You, sorry, sorry. So you come in, you you buy the business. And and then like, what do you what do? You do? Are you, do you move there full time? Like, uh, how, yeah. Okay. I lived in the office. Wow. Um, what I was purchasing at the time was uh, exclusive management contracts for these properties, like a property management company of, uh, that we might recognize today. I was buying the employees, yep. not buying the employees, but the contracts of the employees. I was buying the office furniture. I was buying the decorations, stuff like that. Yeah. My first instinct was to freak out <laughs> because suddenly people are paying us real money and I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. 
Wow. And I think that unites a special kind of short-term rental professional today is really taking it personally and really caring about what you're delivering to people who are choosing you instead of a traditional hotel. Yeah, yeah. Would you agree? A hundred percent. I mean, right, it's it's the whole idea of the best, it's the whole idea of like hospitality in the space as opposed to it just being a, a real estate investment, right? And I, I think as, you know, uh, as someone who's stayed in a lot of vacation rentals myself, you can absolutely feel when you're staying in a place that's treated as, you know, a, a real estate asset versus a place that's treated as a hospitality business. Like it, the, the the experiences are are quite uh, the, the contrast in experiences is is quite stark, right? So absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And I do feel like the best people in the business understand this and and are adapting models uh, accordingly. And we talk a lot about how the barrier to entry over the years has gotten much lower, how it's become so much more accessible to start this kind of business, but. What, one thing I always like to share with newcomers is if you are by default this kind of person, hmm. you you like relationships, you like experiences, you're proud of a place and you want to share it. That, that was my next step with the business was, okay, I don't know anything. So I'm going to revert back to what I do know, which is I love this neighborhood yeah. and I'm going to treat you like a family member when you come here. Yeah, yeah. And that feeling is valuable because guests feel it. They get excited about things. You introduce them to people and to places where they wouldn't have found otherwise. It's not a place to stay. It's something much bigger. It's, it's, a, it's a relationship that you have built. And I would point at that as the, the thing that really ended up being the, the thread mm. throughout uh, my management career. And as I would eventually sell that company, into my educational career as well. Hey guys, it's Zach. If you're enjoying this episode, could you do me two very quick favors? First, this show is possible thanks to a handful of incredible organizations who've signed on to be advertising partners of Behind the Stays. It would mean the world to me if you'd take just a second to scroll down to the show notes and go learn more about this episode's sponsor. Even if you aren't in the market for agency support or a new PMS at the moment, it never hurts to be aware of who else is out there. And second, if you're listening to this episode on Spotify, could you be so kind as to give Behind the Stays a five-star rating? And if you're on Apple Podcasts, could you submit a quick review and let me know what you love most about the show? I know it seems trivial, but these things really, really do help us grow the show. And just a reminder that if you've ever got feedback from me on how to make the show better, shoot me an email directly at Zach, that's Z-A-C-H, at spontaneous.com. You all really are the best. I love receiving your emails and DMs. All right, so check out the sponsor and leave us a rating and a review, please. All right, guys, back to the show. So you, you buy this business, you cut your teeth on how to be a vacation rental manager, right? You, I'm sure, have loads of lessons that you learn along the way. How long did you own the business? At what point did you decide to sell? And and why why did you decide to sell? I owned it for 10 years, uh, just over 10 years. Um, I started to lose that passion, mm. that excitement. And it was a small business uh, at at our max, we had 15 properties, okay. all within the historic district. Uh, when you as the leader are not living that energy, 
it tends to trickle down. Yeah. Unless you've put into place really uh, clear ways for your team to do that themselves. And I most certainly had not. Yeah. And as I started to feel that sort of um, draining of energy, lack of excitement like I had originally, I started to think about what else gets me excited. Mm. What else am I going to jump out of bed in the morning to work on? And it happened to be sharing the best practices that were generating us bookings in the uh, management world with other short-term rental professionals. And this is a wonderful um, a, a story of A-B testing. Okay. I wrote an ebook. I called it Boost Occupancy, 2010 or 11 probably. And it was all of my best tips for generating direct bookings. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and like like $97. And I have, remember reading Tim Ferriss's uh, four-hour four workweek book. And the, the tip that I took away was to purchase four uh, domains. Yeah. Uh, to dedicate this exact same ebook to four different landing page websites. Okay. So the first one was a hotel themed domain. The second one was a bed and breakfast themed domain. The third was resorts. And the fourth was vacation rentals. Okay. Okay. That was pure Google AdWord data uh, decision. Okay. I then pumped a couple hundred dollars of AdWords budget to each of these landing pages. Again, selling the exact same book. I changed the the, the cover image. <laughs> it felt so sneaky in, in hindsight, but the the result was humbling mm. because the vacation rental ebook outsold everything else by far. Wow. Wow. And so, okay, so so you so you whip this ebook, you do this test, you see that that hey, my the the value that you have to offer, the education that you have to to offer is is really ripe for the vacation rental uh, audience, specifically those who are professionals in this space. Um, and then, do you just immediately think, oh my gosh, I just need to ten x this? Do I do I just need to pump out tons more content? Like what? I guess what did you learn from that experiment? The first is that it's awesome to sell something virtually without actually doing anything. Yeah. <laughs> Coming off of a career in property management where you're like literally waking up in the middle of the night to go um, clog toilets. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to be at the beach and to receive a little ding on my cell phone saying a $97 purchase. That's like, okay. Yeah. I want that. You're like, oh, okay, dinner is covered for tonight, folks. You know, yeah. Yeah. and all my friends knew it too. We all found it so hilarious because this is before really, I think, online sales uh, promotional stuff got popular. Yeah, this was early. You were like yeah. an early adopter here. You know, you yeah. Know, another another funny thing, Matt, is all of my favorite people, like like the number the number of store times I'm like on a podcast and then someone says, and then I read Tim Ferriss's Four Hour Workweek. Like that was the book that changed my perspective on, on so many things and the way I structure my time and how I structure my life, right? Like it is, it is just such a read. It's such a fantastic read. And it's just so funny that like all, a lot of the people that I know and, and respect in, in this space and in other industries, they have, they have that in common. Like the, the hustlers, 
you know, are somehow all connected to Tim Ferriss in some way, shape or form, <laughs> which is such a so testament true. to that book and like what he's done with his brand. So true. And I, I think also there's a kind of hustler nature that you need to spark what you will really love. Mm, yeah. And for me, it, it was just, oh my gosh, I can make money sharing these tips. I got to write another ebook. Yeah. So of course I wrote another ebook and okay. then I built up a little portfolio of like 10 ebooks that are selling online, outpacing my income from my management company. Wow. wow. Mind you, no good information online at the time. Yeah. So I had an unfair advantage in the same way that my rentals as the only place to stay in town had a great unfair advantage. I what was you- able to learn in a cool environment. Yeah. What, what did you use for like payment processing then? Like, was it PayPal? So PayPal or? Okay. It was PayPal, PayPal. Okay. and eventually Stripe. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cause this but is still he, early. Yeah. Yeah. This is still early, but this was the bit, this was the next big leap was realizing that I had to continue writing eBooks and creating courses. And I only had so much experience. I only had so much creativity. Yeah the same people were waiting in line to buy the next thing. Yeah, wow. And so that that, that felt like a bit of a opportunity mm. to, to, to think a little bit about this business model. And the pivot, if you could call it that, was to include all of the eBooks and courses I had ever created in one recurring revenue, one low cost fee per month, and to give everybody who wanted those materials access to communicate with one another. Mm, yeah, yeah. Online. The makings of community online I- began to mimic the exact community dynamics that I learned in the neighborhood, mm. which as you can imagine, living in a developing historic district, there's a lot of work to be done of uniting people and solving our own problems and the overlaps, the lessons were eerie. Wow! That I began to see. Yeah. So, so you so you build this online community, and like at, at the time, right? This this is again all all like early, like nowadays, right? There's folks that have podcasts, and they've got communities built around those podcasts, and then they've got all these paid things. They've got like courses galore, right? Like there there's there's a lot of like trendy content out there, right? And quote unquote influencers in the space that have built up cool audiences and are selling info products or selling events, right? But you were doing this like long before this was this was like, t- you know, table stakes to to an extent, right? So talk talk to us a little bit about like what those what those early days like were like, like what it who, who was joining the community? Like who w- once you enabled folks to be able to talk with one another, like what were what were questions people were wrestling with? Like, was this were these folks that had spent their careers managing vacation rentals? Were these folks that were just getting into the industry for the first time? Like who, who were sort of the early adopters of the community? The early adopters of the community were the people who purchased my eBooks. Yeah. So this is somebody who values information, who wants to learn, who sees the return on that investment and one buys more ebooks. Yeah. So that mentality of recognizing education and paying for it, I think was a really core tenet to what united uh, the community in the early days. I also made a pretty big choice, which was I've got a couple hundred 
people who have purchased my eBooks, I can either welcome them in at a discounted fee, you know, early bird rate, yeah, $20 a month, or I could invite them in for free for life mm. in exchange for their participation. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the choice that I took. And that first phase of community members online uh, basically owned the thing. Yeah. They were asking questions uh, that other people had experienced before. That was one of the first sensations we found is that, oh, I'm not the first one to have to solve this very unique problem that none of my friends have any idea what I'm talking about. You have done this too. And yeah. you, you, and you have a better way to do it. Like, <laughs> wow, that is a cool, spontaneous environment. Yeah. Yeah. So that was what really united people at the beginning is I, I'm an avid learner. I always want to improve and I want to share what I have learned in exchange for what I'm getting out of the community. And, and in hindsight, that has been something that I would apply to real neighborhood communities too. Wow. Ultimately, wow. we're all united in some kind of common desire to live in this place, let's say. But we have to participate and we have to contribute what we know and we have to show up even if we don't know and we need to contribute. Yeah. And that really became sort of the centerpiece of the community as it grew. We eventually opened up the membership to the public. And to this day, it continues as an evolving space where property owners and managers, now many of whom I've known for like eight years, yeah. who are running the biggest and the best and the most limited edition vacation rental companies in the world, they are all still part of this community. And that's a really cool feeling. Wow. Wow, that, that's a great feeling, I, I, I would imagine, man. That's, uh, that's quite impressive. So what can you tell us about sort of the, like the state of the business? Like how many, how many people are a part of this community? What, like, what, you know, are you, is this your full-time gig now? Do you dabble in other areas? Are you just, are you like, you know, moderator in chief uh, for the community? Can you just share about what the current state of it looks like? Moderator in chief of the community, for sure. I have been known to give myself other names, but that's the best <laughs> Uh, we'll stick with that one. Um, more than a thousand members throughout the world. Okay. Wow. Um, our membership tends to grow slowly. Yeah. Uh, we had some bumps when Airbnb became a thing and because of some media projects. So we feature members of our community in podcasts and TV shows and films. Uh, when something like that comes out, typically there's a little bump, but on average kind of grows slow and steady, which I'm really proud of. We tend to turn away more members just because it's not the right thing for them. Yeah. We, by turn away, explain to them what this is not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a get rich quick thing. Like don't, this is not right for you, but just good people. Yeah. And ultimately what, uh, it has evolved into are in-person events as well. So up mm. until that, everything was virtual. But when you're in person, when you're together with a, another human, that's an increasingly precious time, especially if it can be attributed to your business growth. So yeah. we started hosting private retreats. We've done 10 of them now. Wow. We call them the Keystone Retreats. And they're all of our 
members, uh, some old, some new, uh, who are there to learn yeah. and to share and to grow. And that's kind of what I'm most excited about now is the in-person stuff, just because it's next level yeah. energy. Last minute cancellations suck. And that's why we built Ping. Ping makes it easy for guests to be notified when their favorite Airbnbs become available. Ping is a simple widget that lives on your website or your direct booking site and allows your fans and followers to sign up and be notified if their preferred dates become available. Here's how it works. Jimmy sees that you're booked the whole month of October, but he wants to be notified if any three night window in the month becomes available. Jen is a returning guest and she wants to be notified if any week in June, July, or August becomes available. In a matter of seconds, Jimmy and Jen fill out the simple form and they will be pinged if the requested dates become available. And as a host, you will immediately get pinged via email with Jimmy and Jen's contact information and requested dates, which enables you to build up your own database of guest email addresses. Ping is what the best Airbnb hosts use to maximize bookings. You can get access to our beta pricing with plans that start at just $39 a year at bnbping.com. Again, that's bnbping.com. There are obviously, I feel like there are more and more events that have like popped up in, in this space, right? You've got folks, and these, these, this is not my term, but you've got like the industry, I was talking to somebody recently who said you've got like the industry events, right? And then you've also, you've got like the uh, the influencer like uh, events. What what are your thoughts on on the like the, the current event landscape? Like what are the events that you are, that you think are really doing great, cool, innovative stuff versus events that, you know, m might not be, or I guess maybe, maybe a way of being a little bit, you know, nicer in, in, in phrasing this is, are there events that you're particularly excited about that are happening in the space? And, and and if so, what are those events and or what do you think the event needs to feel like in order to meet the needs that vacation rental managers today have? I'll start off by saying I love all events. Any and all events where you can go physically somewhere, yeah. take yourself out of your current bubble Go somewhere and learn with people who are experiencing similar things is a budget line item that every person should incorporate into their vacation rental company. Mm. Probably every professional, if if um, if possible. Yeah. So the second thing that I think is important to recognize is that the industry has grown a great deal and it has evolved. So back in the day, like there was only one event, really. Yeah. It was the uh, Vacation Rental Management Association events. Yep. And now there are lots. And I think that's a wonderful depiction of really the world of um, expression. Like there's going to be all kinds of events for all kinds of people. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's really important to recognize what kind of short-term rental operator you want to be. Mm. Uh, there's nothing wrong with going into it to make as much money as possible as soon as possible. Nothing wrong with that. There's also nothing wrong with only doing it because it makes you feel good from a hospitality perspective, even though you might lose money. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that either. And then there's everything in between um, that makes up our industry. And so much of it is now a younger generation. 
yeah. who doesn't even know what VRMA is and yeah. probably never will and couldn't care less. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's really important to identify what kinds of people you want to surround yourself with. And for the more experienced crowd, the tendency is always to look at a, a younger crowd and say, oh, no, this is just, this is just uh, overnight success stuff mm. and ignore it all. Mm. And for the younger crowd, it's easy to look at a more experienced crowd and say, this is just, these businesses are so antiquated. It's embarrassing. And write that off altogether. Right? Yeah. Increasingly, there are events for hybrid type mentalities, people who are doing it with really clear business models and financial goals, but also really clear personal goals, really intentional purpose yeah. behind the business. They don't want to do the corporate nine to five anymore. They want to start something meaningful in a place that they love. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's really important for both categories of, of stakeholder, if you will, whether you're just getting started and you look at the more experienced folks as the cottage industry of old, yep. or you've been in the industry for plenty of time and you are writing off this new wave of expression. Uh, I saw on your podcast just now you had a gentleman, um, Isaac. Yes, yes, Isaac French, yes. Uh, yes, who I follow online, who is the essence of limited edition hospitality. Yeah. And that is someone who understands the trends, understands the profession, and is channeling his own personal voice and brand yeah. and now teaching other people how to do it. Like that is incredible contribution to the world of hospitality. Yeah. And to ignore that would be, I think, naive. Yeah. And, and conversely, um, to ignore the more experienced world where people, uh, most of our community members, have been really refining their craft, mm. which is very operationally complex, as you know. Yeah. It's not easy to hack. It's relationship-based. It's lessons that have been learned over time. Yeah. Those two worlds, I believe, can learn from one another. And there are events where you will find both of those uh, worlds. I tend to think the bigger the event, uh, the more of a mix there will be. Yeah. Unfortunately, the bigger of the event, the harder it is to really form meaningful connections with any one kind of person. Yeah. Um, which is kind of the niche that we found for ourselves. They're small cohorts of 20 individuals. Uh, but it really depends on what you're looking for. But back to where we started, if you're not attending some kind of event where yeah. you're broadening your knowledge base, I think you're really missing out. Yeah, and and what, what, one of the things I have been thinking a lot about is what what does it look like to bring these audiences that, that you just described together? And I think that, like, like Isaac's a great example, right? Isaac and a lot of the folks I think fall into this more experiential hospitality. They're they're newer, uh, younger uh, operators in the space. They've only been, you know, they've built their first couple projects. There's a, a, an incredible couple, uh, Emily and Mauricio um, Padan, and they're out in um, in uh, Montremblant, uh, north of of Montreal. They've got a company called Hinter, and I think that they fall into the same category too. Incredibly designed 
gorgeous high-end uh, short-term rentals. And they've, you know, done a, he's an architect, she's a designer. They've done just remarkable work. They're, they're another example of this. There's, there's loads of examples. And I was talking to them the other day, actually, and they, they don't even know VRMA. <laughs> like they were like VRM. Oh, oh yeah. Like I think, yeah, I, I have heard of that. Like that, that was like how they responded. Right. And it's, it's just interesting, right. As you've got these people that have just built remarkable companies that are going to attract that are attracting the next generation of travelers and and i think that there is loads to be learned um uh, you know from from both sides and I, I think the question actually andrew kitchell had like a great linkedin post about this the other day but it, it's basically like how how do you bring andrew kitchell from uh wheelhouse but uh, you know how do you bring these these groups together and and is there a way where you could facilitate a productive conversation that everyone could learn from. Because some of the problems with some of these larger events that have been around for a while is it's really hard to like get in as like a speaker, right? And so like, if you're an Isaac French and you've built this, you've built Live Oak Lake, like it might it might be impossible because you just don't even have the, you don't have the relationships like on the inside to, to get your session approved or whatever it is, right? And so I, I do feel like, that's that's got to change, um, and I also think that there's a lot that these younger professionals who are newer to the space can learn from the people that built the industry, right? The people that were doing this before the world knew what Airbnb was, right? Uh, and and I think that it's we, we've got to find a way to do that. So I, I'm glad I'm glad to hear that you, Matt, are like doing the work of coming up with these retreats that are small groups. I, I'm also kind of with you. The, the big events are great. Where I think change actually happens is is at the smaller, uh, you know, more more personalized experiences. So I'm curious, like, how, how do you think about this? Like, do you have any specific ideas of how we can get these two sides of the aisle, if you will, to to collaborate more more intentionally and more intimately? I can only share the way I'm thinking through it for our own events, which is the metrics or defining features of an operator the way we have always thought about them yeah don't make sense anymore so what do you mean what do you mean only up until recently uh, a property count would be a, an easy metric yeah to, okay. to look at so up until only recently um, VRMA w recognized that there's a smaller uh, stakeholder somebody with two properties or one property or five properties who actually doesn't want to grow to 500. In fact, is really proud of their one yeah. property. So that's a metric that historically has divided us. Hmm. And in the same way your friends in Montremblant have done, they actually broke the terms of the playing field by now building their own properties, which is very unusual to the traditional world of vacation rental management, right? Yeah. Yeah, And they've incorporated this kind of design and this kind of um, purpose about yeah. their, biz their lifestyle business. That's completely changing the terms of that discussion from a mm. metrics standpoint, because it doesn't matter that they have how many properties, six? Or yeah, like they have like six, I think. But yeah. Their business model is infinitely more complex than a property manager who's only managing, you know, someone else's homes. Yeah, yeah. So that would be an example of breaking, inventing new metrics. And mm. I believe that in order to unite this very dynamic and diverse 
group of businesses, you cannot use the metrics of old. You need new metrics. Hmm. You need new uniting factors. And those are a lot of the things that we've talked about today. Relationships is a huge one. Uh, somebody with one relation uh, with one property might be much better at their guest relationship or their employee relationship than someone with 100. Yeah. We talk about express expression. Uh, a property with a, five, a company with five of their own bespoke short-term rentals is infinitely more expressive than kind of this drab uh, management company that's been around for sev- several decades. Yeah, yeah. Um, connection in general, like, wow, we're actually in this business to connect with one another, yeah. to make our lives more meaningful and travel and see new destinations and go on adventures and curate those kind of adventures for our guests. I believe that you need to take entirely new metrics. This is a completely different dimension yeah. than what we were gauging businesses on before to unite folks as a new North Star. That's yeah. the philosophy that I take. And I tend to find that when people hear that, they either resonate with it or they don't. Yeah. And oftentimes, if you don't resonate with it, you may sense that your own future in the business is not stable. Mm. And what I mean by that is you're not adapting to change. Yeah, yeah. And I know a lot of people who struggle with that. I struggle with that myself. But accepting that you're struggling with it and wanting to improve is very different than, you know, resisting and acting out and and exerting all of this energy in something that you no longer enjoy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that was... uh... That was so well said, Matt. Um, I, I, the whole, the whole concept of needing new metrics. I think, I think you nailed it. I think, that the, I, think I really do think like that is that is what needs to happen, right? Because I think about folks I just mentioned, uh, Emily and and Mar- Mauricio from Hinter. I think about Isaac French. I, I have several other examples. I think about Ben Wolf. There, there's a lot of other people that are doing this, where they're essentially they're building and managing from the ground up, right? And they're in places where they're, they are creating new destinations, right? Whereas historically, like a lot of the people that you've talked about, right? A lot of the folks that have been in the industry for a long time, you know, you, the people, people managed homes around destinations that people were already going to, or that they right. knew people were going to, to, to go to, right? This next generation of hospitality entrepreneurs, they're thinking, hmm, how do I design incredibly bespoke, highly curated, technology-enabled escapes in the middle of nowhere, right? Where people are going to come here, right? Because, and, and, you know, the reason for doing that is land is a lot cheaper. It's cheaper to build. There's less re- regulation in some of these places, right? And and if you create the destination in and of itself, you, you, might, ne- you, you might not never be able to do 100, 200, 300 units, right? You might only, to your earlier point, only ever want 10, but like that 10, like the business around that 10 is going to be 10x what a business around 100 kind of more traditional smaller units in, you know, Ocean City, for example, uh, might, might, might look like, right? And so there is this whole new class of entrepreneur that I think is, that I think is emerging. Um, and, and yet they need community, right? All, every time I talk to these people, I'm like, do you know so-and-so? And they're like, no. Or people are like, oh, Zach, I listened to your podcast and that's how I met so-and-so. I was like, you guys didn't know each other before? You guys are doing like the same thing just in different parts of the country. Like you guys, you guys got to like lead a 
freaking like masterclass or cohort or something because what you what you figured out more people need to need to learn from so i i'm just pumped matt that there are people like you that are like investing their time and energy in like trying to build this next generation community because if we don't do that right then then people are going to keep going on their their own sort of like individual they're going to stay in their silos and i think that the industry as a whole is is going to suffer um so so yeah I, i'm just i'm very thankful for the work that you're doing appreciate that and i, I think that the the lessons that i learned in casco viejo as a, an actual neighbor first and foremost it was so telling it, it forecasted what we're talking about today and I think mm. every great neighborhood in a way does this. If you've been to a great neighborhood, you could feel it. It really comes down to having honest discussions with people in spaces that we feel safe. Mm. And the problem with a lot of online communities is that they're either on Twitter or Facebook yeah. where algorithms reward virality and comments as opposed to actually facilitating quality discussion, very different subject. Yeah. And, and participate and contributing and, and people oftentimes hear contributing they think, well, wow, I'm just getting started. I don't know anything. Yeah. Which is wrong. You are bringing to this industry exactly what I brought when I was getting started, what Zach brought when he was getting started. It's a world of experience doing other things. Yeah. Maybe you were a pilot. Maybe you were a mother. Maybe you were a teacher. Maybe you were a tour guide. And most importantly, uh, focusing on the hospitality aspect, yeah. which is what unites everybody. And if suddenly we're using this hospitality as our new North Star. And we say, anybody who wants to be better at their own limited edition hospitality, that's the phrase that I use, yeah. one of a kind hospitality, being clear about it, knowing what you permit, knowing what you don't permit, knowing what you like, yeah. knowing what kind of guests you enjoy. All of these things are so infectious. Yeah. And you hear other people talking about it and you can't help but learn through osmosis. So I just encourage anybody to find those little tribes that do exist online and attend those actual events in person exponentially deeper yeah. than what we could do online and find and create those safe spaces. Even with, if it's with short-term rental operators in your neighborhood, have a coffee once a month yeah. and talk about how to resolve some of your problems. Because if we don't do it, who will? Yeah. Yeah. So well said, Matt. I, I'm just, again, very thankful for the work that you're doing. Very thankful for your time. Um, if, if folks are listening to this and they're kind of thinking to themselves right now, dang, I need this community, right? I, I, I don't know who, I don't know anyone else, right? Who is doing what I'm doing and, or I know a couple people, but they live, you know, on the opposite side of the country. Like, well, what's the, what is the best way for folks to learn more about, uh, VRMB's community? What are, what are some, you know, uh, resources you might point point them to that you've already developed that that might be helpful for them? Uh, the newsletter that I put out once a week, I write it all myself. I probably put 10 hours of work into it. It's not a normal newsletter. It reads more like um, 
an essay. It's really good, by the way. I I, I am a subscriber, so I, I can Thank endorse you. that. Uh, it features things that I like to recommend. Uh, of course, our online community is a natural plug at the bottom of every newsletter. Uh, but it features uh, news that you should be paying attention to that represents a trend that might be coming to your area. Advocacy effort is a really important topic for a lot of managers now. So it features updates in advocacy. It features inspiration with your marketing mm. and findings from our technology research. And it's all free. It comes once a week and I do it because I love it. And when people receive it, they write back um, with their own riffs on it, which we then incorporate into our online community as it evolves. It's kind of like a collective wisdom thing. So that's the easiest answer is just to sign up for the free newsletter. I include all the events and other companies that we like um, pretty regularly. And I, I think oftentimes overlooked is the local the local aspect to this. Yeah. I cannot underscore enough the value of reaching out to another manager in your area. Yeah. Yeah. Just meeting. That yeah. is that's leadership for me. That's mm. community leadership 101. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very, very well said. I, I will have links to Matt's newsletter and his website and his blog all in the show notes below. So if you just want a quick and easy way to, to subscribe to VR, VRMB's newsletter, um, you can do so in the comments below. Matt, thank you again so much for your time. It's, it's truly an honor to have gotten to know you a little bit uh, better, uh, understand a little bit more about how you see the world. And I'm thankful and excited to see what you need, what you continue to do for the industry. It's been a treat. Thanks, Zach. Hey, friends. Hope you've enjoyed today's show. If you are an Airbnb host or know an Airbnb host who'd like to come on the show, please send me an email at Zach, Z-A-C-H, at spontaneous.com, and we will chat. Behind the Stays is brought to you each week by Spontaneous, a carefully curated weekly newsletter that brings you the best last-minute deals and upcoming steals on Airbnb. It's sort of like Scott's cheap flights, but for Airbnb. You can sign up once again for free at Spontaneous.com. Last but certainly not least, I didn't believe in Marie Kondo's whole spark joy mantra until I started podcasting. Now, my joy is sparked every time I see a new subscriber roll in. So please hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And so you add a little spark to my joy fire today. Okay, that was kind of weird, but um, we're going to roll with it. Subscribe um, and thanks in advance. All right, everyone. See you next time.